good morning, Harvest, and thank you for joining us for worship today. If you're a guest that maybe found us this week, we're super, super glad that you're here worshiping with us as well. And so we want to just continue to worship the Lord through the study of his word now. So grab your Bibles with me. We're going to go to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. We've been walking through the book of Acts in this last section. We've been looking at how Jesus is bigger than all the other parts of our life. Everything that comes against us, everything that's around us, everything that we are involved in. And today we want to look at another important aspect of that. That Jesus is bigger than my ignorance. Now I know what you're thinking. Micah, did you just call me ignorant? Yes. Yes, I did. (laughs) I know that doesn't maybe sound that pastoral. uh, But let me explain. Ignorance isn't necessarily derogatory. A lot of times I think we, we take it that way, but by definition, ignorance actually is just a lack of knowledge or a lack of understanding. Ignorance is different than stupidity. Stupidity is the inability to understand something. Ignorance is just not understanding it. You just don't get it yet. And the truth is that we're all ignorant about certain things at certain times in our life. Take me for example. I'm completely ignorant when it comes to car repairs. That's just outside of my wheelhouse. I just don't understand that stuff. I'm I'm ignorant when it comes to speaking Mandarin. Couldn't tell you a single word. I'm I'm ignorant when it comes to understanding why little girls cry about everything. I have three of them in my house, and I still don't understand it. There are just some things that we are ignorant about. We just don't get it. Many of you have experienced this. When you first got married, it did not take you long to figure out that you were ignorant when it came to the opposite sex. Like, you have no idea what they're thinking or feeling or how they act or what they're doing. Like, it's just... We don't get them, um, and it takes us a while to learn that. Uh, when, whenever you first become a parent, I remember as a, as a first-time dad and, and going through pregnancy and delivery, I, was just, I didn't trimesters and glucose tests and, and baby classes. Like, I didn't know any of this stuff, and it was, it was completely outside of, of my understanding. Most recently, I felt the weight of my ignorance um, as we have stepped into new commercial building ownership as God's blessed us with this great church building, and it's like home ownership on steroids. And there's so many things I don't know. And I don't even know I don't know them until they become painfully obvious. Uh, recently, the state contacted us to say, you need to get your elevator inspected, because evidently that's what you have to do when you have an elevator in your building. And so I said, oh, great, come inspect it. And they're like, oh, no, no, we don't inspect it. You have to hire an inspection company to inspect it. Okay, great. So I called the inspection company. Yeah, we'll come inspect it, no problem. But we have to do it with your maintenance company. So we have to be here at the same time. And so you have to schedule your maintenance company, and then we'll schedule the inspection, and then we can get it back to the state. I'm like, okay, whatever. Just come do it. So they come. They inspect it. We pass. And now they pass the inspection back up to the state, which will then tell us that we officially passed, and then we have to pay the state for the inspection that they didn't do on top of the other two companies. This is the kind of stuff you learn whenever you don't know what you're doing with your new building. And so it's painfully obvious sometimes that we are just ignorant because we don't know until we find the true source of truth for whatever that is. And the same thing is true for us in our spiritual lives. When we come into this life as humans, we are ignorant when it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to God, when it comes to to what it means to be connected to him in this life until we find the source of truth that can open our eyes and take away our ignorance. So I wanna show you that here in the text today that I find freedom from ignorance in the word of the Lord. If we want to find freedom from our ignorance in our spiritual lives and in the way that we interact with the Lord, interact with God, we have to go to his word. And so let's look at this, Acts 19, verse 1, 
Here we go. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in, speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Then Paul goes on to the next group. It says, and he entered the synagogue, and for, th- for three months he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So when it comes to ignorance, the first thing we see in this text is that the word of the Lord can set me free from ignorant belief. The word of the Lord can set me free from ignorant belief. So the story here starts back with Apollos. We learned about him last week. Remember, he was in Ephesus, and he didn't quite have all of his his theology correct. And so Priscilla and Aquila discipled him, and now they've sent him on to Achaia, to Corinth. And as he leaves, Paul finally makes his way back to Ephesus. And when he gets there, he encounters this group of disciples. But they're not disciples of Jesus. They're actually disciples of John, John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus. He came before Jesus, and he was pointing everyone to Jesus. And so they know about him. Maybe they know about John the Baptist from Apollos. I don't know. That was kind of his thing when he first came there as well. But they seem to have no or limited knowledge of Jesus, of the gospel, of the Holy Spirit. And so they say all they have, all they have is that they followed in John's baptism, the baptism of repentance, Paul calls it. But then he says to them, listen, John said, if you're following John, John said believe in the one who was to come after him. Not him, but the next guy who was Jesus. John baptized with water, but he told you that Jesus was going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's what you really need. And it says, on hearing this, now that they know the full truth and they've heard who Jesus is, they're no longer ignorant about him. It says that they believed and they were baptized in Jesus and the Holy Spirit came on them. Now they're disciples of Christ, not just disciples of John. Then Paul moves on, as he normally does, to the synagogue in the city. And he goes there for three months, and he starts teaching the Jews, and he starts trying to persuade them about the kingdom of God. Basically that Jesus was the Messiah who came and initiated the kingdom of God, and they needed to believe in Jesus. He gave them what we call today the gospel. He explained to them that all of us are sinners, that that we choose to rebel against God, we choose to go our own way, we choose to sin against him, rather than obey and follow him. And because we sin against him, that sin separates us from God, and we are deserving of wrath and death and hell from him. But God loves us, and he wants us to be part of his family. And so instead of giving us what we deserve, he sent his son to take it for us. And Jesus came to earth, and he was born as a human, and then he walked um, a perfect and sinless life, the thing that we could never do. And he ended up going to the cross and giving his life for us. He stood in our place as a substitute, and he took our wrath and and the punishment that we deserve from God, and he died in our place. And when he died, they put him in the tomb, and then three days later, he rose back to life. 
to show that he was God, to prove that he had conquered sin, he had conquered death. He really was the Messiah. He really was bringing the kingdom of God to earth. And Paul told him, if you'll believe in him, he'll save you from your sins, and you can have a relationship with God. He offered them the chance to believe. Now that they knew the truth, now that they were no longer ignorant about who Jesus was, they could now choose to believe and be saved. And you today have that same chance. I've told you now the truth about Jesus. You're no longer ignorant, if you were before, about who he is and what he's done and what he's offering you. Now you have the chance to believe. But you have to make a choice. Will you believe in the truth and let the truth set you free? I hope that you will. If you haven't before, I encourage you right now to pray and ask Jesus to come and to save you from your sins. And he'll do it. Paul offered them the same chance, but it says some became stubborn. I hope that's not you today. I hope you're not stubbornly resisting the truth of Jesus Christ, but rather he said they were stubborn and they continued in unbelief. They rejected God's word. They rejected the truth of the gospel. They were no longer ignorant. Now they knew the truth. Now they were just unbelieving. That's a whole different ballgame. It's one thing when you're ignorant of the truth. It's another thing when you know it and you choose not to believe it. And so he withdrew from them and he took with him the disciples, meaning those who had believed. So some people had believed in Jesus and were saved. And so for two years, he taught them and others in the hall of Tyrannus. And it says the word of the Lord continued to spread more and more and more people believed. This is what happens when you encounter the truth of Jesus Christ. You're set free from ignorant beliefs of the past so you can follow Christ. Freedom from ignorance comes not through human persuasion, but the power of the word and the spirit. These people, they didn't believe in Jesus because Paul was so great at his presentation. It wasn't because he was so persuasive. It wasn't any human tactics. They believed because they came to a clear understanding of the truth of Jesus Christ. And once they saw the truth for what it was, they chose to believe. So what are you going to do? Are you going to believe? Are you going to receive the truth? Or are you going to reject the truth in unbelief? You know, my wife, Courtney, she has a sister named Tanya, and um, for years, Tanya was part of the Mormon religion. You know, the Mormon religion is a, is a religious cult that teaches prophecies and writings that oftentimes conflict with God's word. Um, but, they're, but they're very good at indoctrinating their members and teaching them these things that keep them ignorant of the true nature of God and the true nature of the gospel. And they, they, they so keep them trapped in these teachings. And so when you, if you try to debate them or try to talk them out of their beliefs, it's virtually impossible because human persuasion is not enough to break those chains, to break that, those ignorant beliefs that they've been indoctrinated with. It requires the power of God's word. It requires the truth of the word to open their eyes to their spiritual ignorance. And that's exactly what happened for Tanya. When, when she finally had her eyes opened by the truth of the gospel, she left Mormonism and she followed Jesus, because she understood the truth. Once she understood specifically that, that God was a loving, an unconditionally loving father who wanted to have a relationship with her and not some tyrant that she had to please and earn his favor with her good behavior, once she understood the true nature of God and his love for her, she was all in. She believed in Jesus and she's been following him ever since because the truth set her free. 
This is what every one of us needs at some point in our life. To be set free from our worldly, futile, ignorant beliefs by the truth of God's word. I hope that you have already found that. If you haven't, you can right now. Today can be your day. Trust in the Lord. Believe in Jesus. Freedom from ignorance comes not through human persuasion, but the power of the word and the spirit. That's the first thing we see here about ignorance in this passage. The second one comes in verse 11. Look at verse 11 with me. It says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus who whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon all um, in the name of Jesus of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Number two today, the word of the Lord can set me free from ignorant practices. Not just ignorant beliefs, but it can also set me free from ignorant practices in my life. I love verse 11 here. It starts off and says, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul. Two important things there. Number one, God was doing the miracles. You catch that? Paul wasn't doing the miracles. God was doing the miracles through him. This is the difference between miracles and magic. God does miracles with true power. Magic is just a sleight of hand farce by humans. But here, God is doing miracles through the hands of Paul, but not just any miracles. He's doing extraordinary miracles, which is kind of interesting that Luke uses that word because aren't miracles, miracles already extraordinary, right? By their nature, they're kind of already above and beyond. But these miracles were even a notch higher, right? They were not your typical everyday miracles. They were extraordinary miracles above anything else that we've seen in Scripture. You see, Ephesus was a city that was obsessed with magic, they were obsessed with magical powers and people and, and all this kind of stuff. And so they needed to see some extraordinary miracles by the name of Jesus Christ. So they would know his power was superior to any other magic that they thought they believed in or they thought was real. And so the extraordinary miracle here that's described is that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched Paul's skin, they would be carried over to the sick and laid on the sick person and they would be healed or the demon would leave them. Paul didn't go. Just his handkerchief. And by the way, handkerchief and aprons here actually mean like sweat cloths. So when Paul was doing his tent making, he might have a, you know, something around his head or around his waist, and it would get his sweat on it, and they would take that and they would lay that on the person and they would be healed. So first of all, ooh, right? <laughs> like sweaty handkerchiefs laying on people. That's just kind of gross. But nonetheless, secondly, this is an over-the-top miracle. Right? It didn't even require his presence. It was just 
just the, just the handkerchief, just the cloth. And because this was extraordinary, because this was over the top, this passage is not meant to be normative for the church then or today. But some people have tried to take this passage and teach that this is the normal practice of the church. And you can find some churches or pastors who will tell you, if you just send in X amount of money, if you just do this for me or do this for our church, then you can receive one of these prayer cloths that I have prayed over, that I have blessed, that I have anointed, and I'll send it to you, and it will bring favor to your life, and it will bring blessings and miracles to your life, because I have given you this prayer cloth. That is a total sham. Let me just be honest with you today. Right? This is an example of people trying to take God's word and take God's work and manipulate it for their own benefit, for their own agendas, for their own profit. It's not what's happening in the scripture. Paul is not using this for his own benefit. He's not manipulating this in any way. It just happens to be that God's using his handkerchiefs to heal people. Paul is not behind it. In fact, what is happening when people are manipulating this to try to, to get their own benefit is actually less like what Paul's doing here and more like what the next person, the next group is doing in the scripture. And the next people we come across are these itinerant Jewish exorcists. <laughs> what? <laughs> what does that even mean? How, who, who is that? I, is that even a thing? I don't remember ever going to the job fair and seeing, you know, teacher, police officer, lawyer, itinerant Jewish exorcist. Yeah, I want to try that one out. That's, that's the career for me. But this was a real thing. People had this job where they would travel around and they would try to convince people that if they gave them enough money that they could heal them, that they could free them from their disease or their inflictions. They were basically spiritual charlatans. They were manipulating people for money. And so now they hear about this name of Jesus and how Paul's healing all these people in the name of But maybe we can try that. Maybe that'll work for us. So they go to the demon-possessed man and they say, hey, I adjure you, demon, to come out by the name of Jesus, who Paul proclaims. They're trying to use Jesus' name for their own crooked practices and benefit. But the evil spirit answers them, which is always a bad day, right? When the evil spirit claps back at you, that's not a good thing. And the evil spirit says to them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but you? Who are you? <laughs> you're nobody. You're a fake. You're an imposter. I don't have to listen to you at all. And so instead of listening and leaving, the Spirit causes the man to leap on them, master them, beat them, and they flee out of the house naked and wounded. Not what they were expecting, I'm sure, right? But hopefully they learned their lesson not to try to use Jesus again for their own thing. But the word gets around, the story gets around the city, and it says fear fell upon all of them and the name of Jesus was extolled. This is a great example of ignorant versus right practices. If you try to use Jesus for your own gain, for your own plans, for your own agenda, it will fail every single time. That is an ignorant practice. Because Jesus is not your toy or servant to use as you see fit. However, if you give reverence and worship and respect to Jesus and his power, that's the right practice. 
then you can experience a relationship with him and experience the blessings of his presence in your life. So these guys didn't get it. Thankfully, the next group does. It says that also many believers came confessing and divulging their practices. So these were people who were already saved. They already put their faith in Jesus Christ. But the fact that they're coming now to confess their sin, confess their sinful practices, tells me that when they got saved, they weren't all clean and nice people, right? Sometimes we have this this false assumption that we have to clean ourselves up, that we have to get ourselves right, that we have to be just perfect before we come to Jesus. But that's never the case. Jesus says, come just as you are with your sin, with all your junk, let me save you, and then I will help you get it all sorted out. These people are already saved, and as they're saved, the Holy Spirit is working in their heart and working in their life to change them and to rid themselves of these ignorant, sinful practices in their life. Through the power of the Word, through the power of the Spirit, they're coming to see how their, how their sin and their magical things that they're into are ignorant, and, and, and they need to be gone. So they start repenting and changing, and it says they brought their magical books and they burned them. It's like the first ever book burning, Right? And they burn the books as a, as a symbol of burning and ridding themselves of their sinful past and their sinful practices. And so many believers were doing this that they brought 50,000 pieces of silver worth of their books. 50,000 pieces of silver would have been like 50,000 days of work. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of sacrifice. But they're willing to lay it down because they love and they're following Christ. And he's changing their hearts. What's really important here is that no one's commanding them to do this. Never once does Paul say, hey, go get your books. We're burning them. We're having a book burning. That's the new program at the church. Everybody bring the books. We're getting rid of them. We're stopping this magic stuff. Paul never sets that up. He never does that. He doesn't have to because the Holy Spirit's doing it. He's changing their hearts. He's changing their lives. And they're following Jesus by giving up their ignorant, sinful practices. In church, this is what we call sanctification. This is a very important process for us as believers. Sanctification is this. It's a lifelong, step-by-step process in which the Spirit transforms the desires of my heart from sin to Christ. Let me say that again. You can jot this down. A lifelong, step-by-step process in which the Spirit transforms the desires of my heart from sin to Christ. That's what's happening here. And as more and more believers are being changed by God, it says, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. This is what happens. When the truth of God's word gets in your life, gets in your head, it changes your heart, it changes everything about you. It changes your practices. Freedom from ignorant practices comes through the, I'm sorry, comes not through religious phases or programs but the power of the word and the spirit. Let me say that again. Freedom from ignorant practices comes not through religious phrases or programs, but the power of the word and the spirit. It's not some special chant or formula. It's not some special 10-step program that you need. What you need is to live and submit to God's direction through his word and through his spirit. Are you doing that? Are you submitting to God's word in your life? Are you submitting to his Holy Spirit as he changes your heart? Let me give you an example of this from my life. 
you know, before I really started walking closely with Christ, I used to date a lot in high school and in college. I was your typical worldly teenage guy. I saw dating as a game. I saw girls as something to be used and opportunities to make, to, to get what I wanted and to make myself happy and feel good. Um, which is precisely why my daughters will not date until they're at least 30, <laughs> because I know men and I know boys and I know what we think about. But even in this time where I was had these horrendous sinful dating practices, I was in the church. I was going to church every Sunday. I was in the youth group. I did the true love weights weekends. I did the purity promise studies. I did the special declaration nights at summer youth camp where I said, all right, I'm going to change God. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to give up those practices. But I never did. I never changed. Nothing changed. I just kept returning to the same old broken, sinful, ignorant dating practices. Until... In college, God used a relationship, a broken relationship in my life to get my attention, to wake me up, to turn my heart back to him. And I turned in repentance and I prayed and he filled me once again with his Holy Spirit and he started to change my heart and change my life from the inside out. I didn't even think about dating for at least over a year after that. Because God's word and God's Holy Spirit was starting to change me, starting to show me what relationships really were supposed to be. Help me look at it differently and how to love someone rather than just use them. But that change, that freedom from my old ways, it didn't come through a program. It didn't come through repeating some religious phrase or prayer or cliche. It came through the power of God's word and through the spirit changing me from the inside out. Some of you, have some sinful practices in your life right now. You may even be a Christian, but you've got some sinful practices in your life that are holding on for dear life. Man, they have a grip on you and you can't shake them and you can't seem to get rid of, rid of them and they're just, they're just plaguing your life. I want you to listen to me. You can have victory. You can have freedom from those practices, but you don't need a program. You don't need a, a religious cliche. You don't need some special prayer. What you need is to submit your heart and your life to God's word and God's spirit and let him change you. That's the way it works. That's the only way you're going to break free from those ignorant, sinful practices in your life. Freedom from ignorant practices comes not through religious phrases or programs, but the power of the word and the spirit. That's where it's at. So God's word and power can set me free from ignorant beliefs and ignorant practices. But there's one more. Take a look at verse 21. It says, now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent to Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. 23, about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. That's Christianity. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that the gods made with hands are not gods. And there is a danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, 
but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may be depo- even, depo- even be deposed uh, from her magnificence, she whom all of Asia and the world worship. Verse 28, when they heard this, they were enraged, and they were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now, some cried out one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew... For about two hours, they cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here, who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If, therefore, Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open, and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. The third way that we see ignorance addressed here is that the word of the Lord can set me free from ignorant confusion. The word of the Lord can set me free from ignorant confusion. So we find out here, it says that uh, there was no little disturbance over Paul. Surprise, surprise, right? Here we go again. It seems like Paul's always, uh, you know, stirring up something. But this time it's at the hands of Demetrius. Demetrius was a silversmith. Um, he was actually probably the leader of the local silversmith guild or union, and uh, which means that they all, this group, they all made silver shrines or statues of this Greek goddess, Artemis. And <clears throat> when Paul comes in and starts preaching Jesus, people start turning to Jesus instead of Artemis, and he starts losing business. And so he comes up with three arguments against Paul to get the crowd riled up. The first one is the economic argument. We're losing our business. We're losing our wealth because Paul says that gods made with hands are not really gods. This is the real reason he's upset. This is the real argument. But he adds two more just to make it feel like it's a little less personal. He says, and if this keeps going on, the temple is going to come into disrepute, right? That that the pride of Ephesus, our great temple, will no longer be counted as anything. And so we have to stop this for political reasons for the pride of our city. And then he has a religious argument that even Artemis, the goddess herself, may be deposed of her magnificence. In other words, she might lose her god status, which if you can lose your god status, you're really not much of a god, right? But nonetheless, these are his arguments. And it gets the people riled up. The crowd was enraged. They were crying out. They were filled with confusion. That's the key word in this passage. They were mixed up. They were confounded, is what the Greek means there. They, they, there was chaos. One person was crying out one thing. Somebody else was crying out another thing. That Most of them didn't even know why they were gathered together. There was just this big riot of mess. No one clearly knew what was going on. But 
everyone was still talking. <laughs> everyone was giving their opinions and their ideas and they're shouting their, their thoughts, even though everything was unclear. Does that sound familiar to anybody else? Does that sound maybe like what we're experiencing right now in our own society, in our own culture? Everybody's screaming and yelling and shouting their own ideas, even though it's really just a big, hot mess of confusion. But finally, the town clerk stands up. This would have been like a, a, the city manager. He would have been a very powerful civic leader, not a Christian, not a Jew, but just a civil leader. And he stands up and he quiets down the crowd and he starts to refute the arguments of Demetrius. He says, first of all, listen, everybody knows that Ephesus is the temple keeper of Artemis, right? The, the temple of Artemis was, was the biggest Greek building at that time. It was four times the size of the Parthenon. It was one of the seven great wonders of the world. He's like, listen, the temple is not in any danger here. Everybody knows that it's the best thing around. And these men that you brought are not, neither sacrilegious or blasphemers of our goddess. In other words, yeah, they believe in a different god, but they're not attacking our God. They're not trying to tear her down. They're not trying to defeat her in some way. They're not, Artemis is in no danger. But then he finally gets to the real argument, the last one he says, the one he says for last. Demetrius and the craftsmen have a personal complaint. And if you've got a personal complaint, then you need to take it to the courts, right? This is not the place for it. This is a personal vendetta that you need to go figure out and settle somewhere else. And he tells the crowd, listen, if we don't stop this, we are in danger of being charged with rioting. We're the ones here about to break the law, not these guys. So we need to stop it and go home. And finally, the crowd dissipates and leaves. What's really interesting to me here about this is it's like one of the only places in Acts where when there's a big stir up, when there's a big fight over Paul or over Christianity, that it gets settled without Paul ever saying a word. Paul doesn't rush in and start yelling over the top of everybody else. He doesn't try to persuade them and, and, and argue his point or argue his side. No Christian in, does this. No Christian rushes in there and tries to, to, to fix this. They just let God handle it. They let the truth of God's word speak for itself and clear them of all the charges. I think this is remarkable. Freedom from ignorant confusion comes not through the most powerful voice, but the power of the word and the spirit. Listen, guys, God's truth always wins in the end. It does. So that means that me, as a follower of Christ, I don't need to attack the other side. I don't need to malign the opposition. I don't need to be the loudest voice in the room. I just need to keep pointing people to Jesus. And let his truth shine through that they might be helped in their time of need. In my pastoral training, I was, I was taught this saying that I think is super helpful here. Truth and time go hand in hand. Truth and time go hand in hand. God's truth will always come out in the end. We just have to give the Lord time to work. When I was studying this passage this week, I was just thinking to myself, man, how good is our God for him to give us this passage to study right now in this time of our life, in this time of our community? And this current coronavirus crisis is completely new territory for all of us. It is completely unclear 
what is going on. There is tons of confusion. People are mixed up. They're confounded. And some of them are enraged. They're crying out with their opinions and their ideas. And everyone seems to just be filled with this confusion. So as Christians, as followers of Christ, what do we do? How do we respond? Not by shouting louder. Not by adding one more voice to the chaos and the confusion and making it worse. Rather, we need to look to the word. We need to look to the spirit to lead us in wisdom and to give us time to trust the Lord and wait on God to bring the truth to light. He can handle this. Freedom from ignorant confusion comes not through the most powerful voice, but the power of the word and the spirit. Jesus is bigger than all the chaos and all the confusion. Jesus is bigger than my sin and my failures. He's bigger than my ignorance. So let's just trust him. Let's put our hope in him and let him free us from what plagues us. I find freedom from ignorance in the word of the Lord. Church family, Let's turn to the word, let's turn to the spirit, and let him lead us forward with Christ. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just come before you now. We bow, Lord, before you, the all-knowing, all-sovereign God. Lord, you are the giver of all wisdom. And so we bow before you today in humility and in hope that you will free us from our ignorance by the power of your word, by the power of your spirit. Lord, free us from sinful practices. Free us from worldly confusion. Lord, lead us in your truth. Lead us in your grace. Oh, sovereign Lord, we trust you. We submit to your word. We submit to your spirit today. Lord, we trust you, the one who is sovereign over us, over our circumstances over our lives. Thank you, Lord. I pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.